All right. How's that sound? Is that good? Am I too loud this time? No, good? Well, good morning, everybody. I am absolutely blessed to be up here this morning, but I have to share a joke with you. And not because it's required, but because I want to. So my, I, uh, I'm on Instagram, and I, I subscribe to a uh, Bad Dad Jokes uh, page. Um, and, I mean, obviously, you all should as well. Um, and for a long time, my favorite dad joke has been, a horse walks into a church and the preacher looks up and says, why the long face? I mean, it, it doesn't get much better than that. But this one was in a couple weeks ago on this Instagram page, and um, it's all about the delivery. I can't mess up the delivery. Here we go. Are you allowed to laugh out loud in Hawaii or just aloha? <laughs> huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. The jokes don't get better from here. So, uh, but I am absolutely blessed to, to be able to share a uh, passage with you. Um, when Joe asked me if I was a- available to preach today and it being Mother's Day, he said, do you want to continue in Acts or do uh, you want to do a Mother's Day uh, sermon? And I said, I-, I think I want to continue in Acts. Little did I know that he was going to give me 22 verses in Acts to get through. And for those of you who have come to this church um, for a long time know that Joe can't do 22 verses on one Sunday. So we'll, we'll see. I'm at least going to read them so that we can check it off and say, hey, we did all 22 verses. So if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 1. And there is so much in here. I was telling uh, Joe and Chris before... Uh, service started that I've got like three hours worth of sermon notes that I can do, but first service I did in like 28 minutes, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. I surprised the praise team. They all expected me to go longer, so. Um, let's uh, start in verse 1 of chapter 18 of the book of Acts, and we find Paul continuing his journey. It says, after this, he left Athens and went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. Now, that's only the first three verses, and there's so much in here. So we know from a couple of weeks ago uh, when Joe preached, or maybe it was Chris, I think it was Joe, um, about uh, Paul's experience in Athens. And, but we also find here that Paul is a tent maker. Now, before this, what did we know about Paul? We knew that Paul was a Pharisee. We knew that Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Like, that's what he was Uh, being paid to do, right? Eliminate Christians, not make Christians, which is the Paul that we are following right now, is the the maker of Christians, not the eliminator of Christians. But here we're finding out that Paul has another trait. So in days of yore, everyone had a dad. Just like we do today, right? Not not a lot has changed. Um, But 
dads had trades, and they would teach this trade to their son. So obviously, we, we're reading here, we're finding out that Paul's dad was a tent maker, and he taught his son to be a tent maker as well. Now, when I was a kid, my, like my only concept of like tents were like those, you know, Coleman, you know, the green and gray ones with the aluminum things that no one actually knows how to put up, but you try every time. I mean, they're a lot easier now, but when I was a kid, I mean, it was like a math problem to, to put them up. Uh, but now, you know, it's only like two of those little aluminum things, and then it goes right up. Um, but that's not the kind of tent that um, Paul was making. That's not the trade that he, he learned. They were these really thick canvas things, essentially like mobile homes. Uh, what, what they had is they would build these massive tents with multiple layers and, and all that kind of stuff. And even um, like if you had a, a partial dwelling, you would have like a little a cave or a dugout or whatever, and you would still have a tent on the front of that. And that's what Paul uh, knew how to make. And that's what uh, Aquila does as well, along with his wife. And so he uh, stays with them for a little while. Um, and he says that they started, he started making uh, tents. But then it also says that he reasoned, continuing in verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And why this uh, is encouraging to me, and hopefully encouraging to you, is that we find Paul, right, the guy who like half of this book was written by, had a job. And he worked his job and still on the Sabbath was teaching and preaching, right? So why that is encouraging to me is because um, I also make proverbial tents during the week, uh, and then I, I come and I'm able to teach and preach here. And you guys also make your proverbial tents during the week and have an opportunity to teach in your, where, where you're at, right? And then come to church on Sundays, just like Paul is doing here. That's encouraging to me that missionaries... Even today, like we've had a few come in from Africa, we've had some come from uh, like Indonesia and Malaysia and all these really cool places, but they have other jobs and are able to work other jobs and still participate in ministry, right? And we see that as an example of what Paul is doing here. So that is a massive encouragement um, to me because, you know, I don't want to have another job. I want to just teach and preach. That's what I want to do. But God is like, you know what? We'll wait on my timing, okay? You just keep doing what I'm telling you to do, and uh, that, that'll come. That'll come. Just keep making your tents, Scott. And I'm like, okay, fine. Fine, fine, fine. But what we find here is that Paul has been going for a long time. He's been on this, this journey for a while, and he comes to Corinth, which by the way, um, how many of you guys know anything about Corinth? Anybody? Any, any history buffs in here? Uh, well, Corinth was a, a place where uh, it, it was um, like a trade location, where all roads went through Corinth, whether they were coming north, going south, they went through Corinth. Uh, ships would come into Corinth, and it was a, it was a high uh, place of trade, not a very big town. It was, uh, the archaeologists have found where Corinth was, and it uh, was about seven miles, it had about 250,000 uh, people, but people not in Corinth used to use 
it as a swear word. So if you were like from Rome or you're from Jerusalem and you're trying to offend somebody because of their immorality, you would call them a Corinthian. You Corinthian. Because of how depraved of a town this was. They had a massive temple in this town to Aphrodite or eventually Venus uh, when it became a Roman province. But Aphrodite's worship people that worship Aphrodite had temple prostitutes. And an act of worship for this would to go and partake of the, the temple prostitutes. Uh, the, the temple there in Corinth to Aphrodite was big enough that they estimate they could have had up to 100 temple prostitutes there. Gross. So it was so depraved, the town, it was so gross that people used the term Corinthian as, you know, a way of insulting people. So, you know, put that in your arsenal if you need to secretly offend somebody. Um, But what's fun about this to me is, um, as Luke was writing this, he put in the very first verse, went to Corinth. And the audience that he was writing it for would read this, and they would all be like, dang, Paul went to Corinth? But for us, we need somebody like me, for example, or like Joe, who does it way better than I do, uh, to explain a little bit more in context. It's like when you're reading the Bible and you come across a passage and it's like Peter, also known as Simon, also known as the son of Zebedee, also known as Joe sometimes. No, that, that is actually true about Peter. But, you know, they have this long list of, of names. Well, I like that. I like that there is context behind this because it lends evidence to truth. Because let's say, like 2,000 years from now, somebody sat down and wrote a book about me, right? And in the first chapter, it was Scott Foshi, also known as Big Foch, also known as S-Dub in some places, also known as Scotty from Del Rio, right? As Chris already called me, Scotty from Del Rio. Um, But if they were writing the book now and you were to read it, you'd be like, oh, Scotty Bigfoch from Del Rio. We know know that guy. And you would already have in context what Del Rio is. It's a border town right across from Ciudad Acuna. They've got two HEBs, one Walmart, no Targets. Um, And there's an Arby's coming. Like every, you would, you would read that and your brain would automatically fix that. You'd be like, oh yeah, I I get that. I get that context. But 2000 years from now, someone would have to explain like Scotty from Del Rio was living the hard life with only two HEBs, right? (laughs) Um, So (laughs) that's what I'm attempting. And there's an Arby's coming. Um, So, and McAllister's too. I got to be honest, all those other things that they say is coming, I'm excited about McAllister's. I don't know where y'all like to get sweet tea from, but that's, anyway, sorry. So, um, as, he, as Luke was writing this, and he said Corinth, people had the context for it. But that is just evidence of the truthfulness of this, because we need more context, because it is, a, it is scripture, it's God's word written for a specific audience, and there are contextual elements to this. So, part of that context is as Paul is leaving Athens, he's going to 
Corinth, and he is discouraged. He is, I think, and there's no evidence for depression here, but I think that he's more than just discouraged. I think that discouraged is how Paul would explain it to people that aren't Priscilla and Aquila. Like if somebody said, hey Paul, how you doing? He's like, oh, you know, I'm a little down, I'm a little discouraged. But with Priscilla and Aquila, I think that he would say, guys, I am really struggling. My mission statement is this, I go to towns, I find a synagogue, I go tell them that they're all wrong, and then I do it until they start throwing rocks at me. And I don't like having rocks thrown at me. One, one town, they hit me with sticks. Man, I prefer the sticks over the rocks, but I don't like either one. And that is his mission statement. He goes and he, it's like someone would come in to hear and say, hey, you guys are worshiping wrong. Because Paul was a Jew, and he was going into the Jewish synagogues and saying, hey guys, you think you're waiting on the Messiah, but he has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the son of the living God. He died for us. He rose again. He made a way possible for all of us, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, to sit with God in heaven. And all we have to do is believe. And the Jews were like, no, 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 no. That is not what Moses said. And he's like, he did. And Isaiah too. All of them were pointing to Jesus. You guys are missing it. The Messiah has come. And then some Jewish leader would get frustrated and be like, dude, you know what? I'm so tired of you saying this Jesus guy is the Messiah. We're taking you outside and we're going to throw rocks at you. And they did over and over and over again. And even though Paul knew that that is what God was asking him to do, he was frustrated. He was discouraged. I mean, he was just in Athens, and they were worshiping everyone. And he was like, ugh, this is too many people to tell them that they're wrong. But I'm going to do it. And now he's in Corinth, a town that is a literal swear word, and he's like, oh, geez, these guys are sleeping with temple prostitutes. Now I'm going to go, all right, I'm just going to go to the synagogue. I'm, I'm just going to go on the Sabbath. I'm not going to go every day. But I'm still going to do it, God, but I'm going to make tents part-time because, man, I'm frustrated. And that should speak to you because I'm sure you've been frustrated. I'm sure there's been a situation in your life where you're like, man, I know that I'm doing what God has asked me to do, but I am exhausted doing it. Why isn't he delivering me from this burden of doing what he's asking me to do? Like, this is way harder than I thought. I'm discouraged. I'm down. But you know what? When we're discouraged and we're down, just like with Paul, God sends us people. So continuing in verse 5, it says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from uh, Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul was reinvigorated by his teammates, by his fellow Christians, by Silas and by Timothy, which, oh, by the way, Corinth, 
First and Second Corinthians. Timothy. You guys heard of that guy, right? He's got a couple of books in here too, right? This whole passage that, that we're talking about today is pointing to the rest of the New Testament. Well, not all of it, but most of it. I mean, there's going to be names, there's going to be towns, there's going to be people that you see here that Paul is referring to uh, later on in his letters. And that, I, I find that, that pretty cool. This is a really uh, packed section of, of Scripture with so much in it. But Paul is encouraged by his friends. And I find that too. I find myself in situations that I would prefer not to be in. I, like I shared with you already, I don't like making tents. All right, I don't make tents, but just, I, I'm an air traffic controller. I would rather not be doing that anymore, but God has me there for a reason. And I've asked people here, some of you have prayed with me and for me on that. I am asking God to deliver me from that job. And all he keeps saying is, okay, what, when I'm ready, when I'm ready, you, you keep doing that. And when it's time, you can go, but it's not time. <laughs> but I'm encouraged in those hard times because I have brothers and sisters that are praying for me and with me. I have Priscilla's and Aquila's and Silas's and Timothy. And it's a lot easier to walk this walk when I've got this family to walk it with, just like with Paul here. And I love this going on in verse six. It says, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told, told them, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Boom. I am going to start something, and then Del Rio Bible Church 2,000 years later will be a thing, is what he just said. That's got to be exciting to us. Now, I really would like to see that like family tree, right? Like Del Rio Bible Church is down here, and then there's all the way up to Paul in Corinth somehow. I don't know. It'd be really big, a little, little confusing. Joe's, Joe's got a really long line. It's like 20-ish years on there, but it's fine. Um, so he left there and went to the house of a man named, probably the coolest name in the Bible. I mean, Jesus is pretty cool too, but this one... This one, so he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justice. Man, I really feel like Kristen and I missed the mark on naming our kids. Like Titus Justice Foshi. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't really ring. Yeah, Kate Will Jack. All right, you guys are welcome. But Titus Justice, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Um, could you imagine like being the leader of the synagogue, knowing that Titus Justice, a worship of God, lives next door, and then Paul goes and moves in next door? He's like, that's that guy that's coming down here and do, telling us all about this Jesus guy, and now he's next door to us? Now he's more available all the time. But uh, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized now talk about this legacy. We hear this verbiage in uh, another part of the Bible. It says, uh, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. We hear this verbiage uh, in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? And in that story, when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus, because of Zacchaeus's faith, Zacchaeus's entire household believed. Now think about that, moms and dads. 
Because what the scripture is not saying is that because I believe in God, my children will by default believe in God. But what it is saying is that because of their faithfulness, Crispus, Zacchaeus, because of their faithfulness, their entire household was saved. What an epitaph for all of us at the end of our lives on our tombstones. For me, it's going to say, Scotty Big Foch of Del Rio believed in God and along with him, his entire household. What a thing to say to be immortalized about you and about me because of our legacy, because of our faithfulness, our faithfulness in points where we want to give up, but we continue. And because of you and because of your faithfulness, your entire household was saved. What a great legacy. I want that to be your legacy. I want that to be my legacy. I hope it is my legacy. My entire household, not just the three kids, but, you know, the eventual other branches of the family that will, will happen sometime in the future, a long, long, long time <laughs> in the future. But I want that. I want that legacy for you, and I want that legacy for me. How cool would that be? Scotty Big Foch from Del Rio, just like Zacchaeus. Ah, I'm not a wee little man, but you get what I'm saying. Let's continue in verse 9. It says, The Lord said to Paul in a, in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in that city. Now let's think about this. Paul's missionary style was to go into synagogues, tell the people in the synagogue that they're, being, that they're wrong, and he does it so much that eventually they throw rocks at him, right? Paul knows this. So Paul knows he's been in Corinth for a little while. He knows that people are starting to believe, and he knows that when people start to believe in Jesus, that that is upsetting the power system that already exists. And so he can feel it. He knows the rocks are being polished, the sticks are being sharpened. He knows that they're coming. And why this speaks to me is because I'm doing what God is asking me to do. I'm teaching His Word when and wherever He allows me to do it. But sometimes I still will get discouraged. Sometimes I will still get downtrodden. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I feel like I am a crazy person because I am the only one in my work center that actually believes this stuff. I don't just say that I'm a Christian. I believe it. And I feel crazy sometimes. And Paul is feeling this. But God says to him, don't be afraid, but keep speaking and don't be silent. Del Rio Bible Church, don't be afraid and keep speaking because we are right. What is greater than this message? Why aren't we sharing our faith everywhere we go, in every aspect of our life, in everything that we're doing? What is greater than this? The answer should be nothing. I, 
I don't know. I, I was hoping you guys would get there before I did, but <laughs> nothing. We have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be afraid, but that doesn't mean that we won't be. It doesn't mean that fear won't creep in. Doubt is a real thing. It is a human emotion. Questioning our faith. Questioning on whether or not people are even hearing me when I'm sharing. It's real. But it doesn't give me permission to stop. Just because it's real, just because I get discouraged, doesn't give me the permission to stop doing what he's telling me to do. Because there is nothing more important than this. This is what God wants us to do. The reason why we don't go to heaven immediately after we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior is this, to share with others the truth. It would be so much easier to just, yep, I get it, boom. And I bet you we would all believe a lot faster if it happened. Like if Pete's sitting up here and I, I'm like, I'm preaching at him, you got to believe this, Pete, you got to believe it, Pete. And as soon as he actually believes it, boom, he disappeared. I mean, look, ah, see, you believe you go. We'd all go. But the reason that it doesn't happen is because we have work to do here. Amen. We have to share. Do not be afraid. I kind of sounded like that guy from um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou just now. Do not seek the treasure. We thought use a toad. But that's not important. <laughs> Sorry. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, do not be afraid, but keep speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in the city. So he stayed there for a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. While Galeo, see, I think, I think Joe set me up here. He knew that there's all these Greek words in here, and I hate reading Greek words out loud. And I think he just kind of set me up because he's like, oh, this will be fun. We'll watch him struggle. Um, while Galeo was the uh, proconsul in Achaia, Anybody uh, argue with that? No? Okay, good. We're all good with that one. Uh, the Jews <laughs> made a united attack against Paul, and they brought him to a tribunal. And I love this. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God the way that is contrary to the law. How great is that? This, this guy here, he's teaching about Jesus. That's not the way that we want him to do it. So uh, Galeo here, he is he's kind of like the... Pontius Pilate of this whole situation, right? Paul is teaching about Jesus. Galeo is not a Jew. He is the, like the leader of the town, kind of like the mayor or like the, the district attorney or, you know, whatever. He, he gets to make judgments. He gets to decide the fate of people. If they're breaking the law, he gets to decide, you know, yes, you can throw rocks at this guy legally. You can, you can absolutely do that. So, uh, they, bring, they bring Paul in, and then continuing in verse 14, as Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a, or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. So what we're finding here is Paul received this vision from God that said, do not be afraid, do not be silent, 
keep teaching, and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for I have many people there with you, right? And yet, he gets taken in, the Jews get him again, and they take him into the, the, the magistrate here, and they're like, can you believe that this guy is teaching about Jesus? And what happens is Paul starts to doubt what God told him. And you know how I know that? Because it says here, as Paul was about to open his mouth, if Paul was this stalwart example of faith, he knew that God told him to not be afraid, that no one was going to lay a hand on him to harm him. If Paul knew that that was true, then when this was going on, Paul would have just stood quiet and not about to speak, but Paul was about to come to his own defense. He was about to open his mouth and say something. He was about to be like, oh yeah, I am doing that. I am, I am saying that. But it's not as bad as they, they, they think. They're just wrong, and they don't like me telling them that they're wrong or something to that effect. But we know that he was having that doubt again. But God intervened in a way that Paul could not have assumed. God took this non-Christian dude, this non-Jewish guy, and he put him in a place of authority over Paul and authority over the Jews. And as Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said, you guys are ridiculous. It's not, a matter, it's not a matter of wrongdoing. It's not even a serious crime. If it was reasonable for me to put up with you Jews, but if these are questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to judge such things. God made a promise to Paul. He said, don't be afraid and be faithful. And Paul, he's like, all right, God, I know you got me, but he still had that doubt. But then God, boom, intervened in a way he could not have ever expected. And I offer that as an encouragement to you. Because the God that I worship and the God that I know does that for me all the time. I am a pretty smart guy. Just ask me. <laughs> and I think sometimes that I can figure this stuff out all on my own. But I can't. And God proves it over and over and over again. When I think that the path is this way and I can see it and I'm like, all right, God, I know, I know you told me something, but look at this path. It looks really easy and I'm going to go that way. God's like, hey, can, can, we just, can we just do my thing for a little while? We're, I'm going I'm to send you this way, Scott, for, for a little while. I'm going to make you Scotty Big Fosh from Del Rio for a little while. And that's going to be okay because that's what I want you to do. And he is showering blessings on me and on my family because of our faithfulness. It doesn't mean that it's easy by any means. It doesn't mean that it's fun all the time. But it means <laughs> that if God's got it, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to doubt sometimes. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to get afraid or question whether I'm doing the right thing, or even in the decision-making process as to whether I know that God is the one that's telling me to do it, or if it's just Kristen telling me to do it. <laughs> Whoops. 
I didn't even say that in first service. Oh. <laughs> but it's true. Like when we're having these conversations, I even have to be, when, when we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with our family, we're tr- trying to figure out where we're going to live, what we're going to do. We have those conversations. How do you know that God is telling you to do this? I don't know. I just know. I spend time in prayer. I spend time in scripture. And I got a peace about it. And I'm terrified. I'm terrified of it. But I got a peace because I know it's true. Because that's what he wants us to do. And that's where Paul's at. God intervened in a way that he could not even expect. And it says, uh, Galileo says, I refuse to judge such things, continuing in verse 16. So they drove them from the tribunal and they seized Sothenius, maybe. Thank you. Uh, I got a couple more I'm going to need your help with. Um, The leader of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Galileo. Continuing in verse uh, 18, it says, After staying... For some time, Paul said farewell to his brothers and sisters and sailed away to Surya, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head. I'll stop right there. A uh, documented haircut in the Bible. Shaved his head. Got another one in the Old Testament, right, with Samson. It's only a couple documented haircuts. Um, But uh, I want to take a little aside here for a minute and talk about language, if you will. So American English is a complicated thing, right? Because uh, there's no actual way to speak it, right? We just say whatever we want. Um, If y'all are from Texas, you know y'all is an appropriate word. Uh, But uh, where my wife is from in Pennsylvania, they say uh, yous or yins or, you know, which is the same context as y'all, which, I don't know. sounds like communists, I I gotta be honest with you. but yeah, there's no, like, American English is really difficult to learn because we just kind of say whatever we want. And improper grammar is okay as long as you're not getting your doctorate, right? You just, you say however you want to say it. But in Greek, it's important. It's intentional how they say things and how they write things, especially when they write it, because there's emphasis and importance. So, like, when you find things like Uh, the characters of Aquila and Priscilla, the people of Aquila and Priscilla being introduced. The first time we're introduced to them at the beginning of chapter 18, it says Aquila, the man, because he's the head of the household, and his wife Priscilla. But here in verse uh, 18, when they're listed, Priscilla is first, and then Aquila. And every subsequent after this time that we are introduced or talked to about Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla is listed first. Now, there are some theories on why this is, but the Greeks would not have written this. Luke would not have written this the way that he did unless it was important, which means that Priscilla had influence. Whether it was her station in life, maybe she was uh, wealthy, she inherited something and it changed her status. Or what I like to think is that she, as a strong, godly woman, had an influence on Paul. She was important to Paul. Her counsel to Paul was important. This was not his wife, this was not his mother, 
This was a godly woman in his life that influenced him in a positive way. And I believe that is why Priscilla is being listed first, because she is important. And my aside here is not just about languages, but it's about moms. And it's about good Christian women and your value and your importance. Y'all, you like that? Y'all are important. You have value. I value you. You are important, especially to young men. And let me tell you this. If God had not made Eve, right, everything in the Garden of Eden would have been named dog. (laughs) Right? Because obviously that's the first thing that Adam named because he's trailing all the animals in front of him and he's like, well, God is my favorite thing. So uh, I have to name this thing. And okay, so God is G-O-D. So obviously this is D-O-G. This is dog. And then the next thing that comes by, he's like, ah, dog with two G's. This is obvious what it is. But no, God gave him Eve, so she was like, no, let's name this something else. And he's like, well, this leaf thing that you gave me is nice. Uh, What did you call it? Hat. Okay, so I like hat, so we're going to call that cat. Huh? She's like, good. And another thing scurried by, and he's like, ooh, rat. And then something flutters by, bat. And then Cain comes out of the, you know, their, their dwelling, and he goes, ooh, Matt. And she's like, no, no, sweetheart, that's Cain obviously, because we, we need you, good godly women. Okay, that's a joke that I wrote. It's not, that's no biblical context for that. Okay, don't, don't let that be the only thing that you remember, that Adam named dog because of God, that he, he didn't speak English. Nobody does, right? The takeaway here is that you are important, Godly women are important. We would all jump off cliffs just to see if we could do it without you. And dads would encourage them to do it. And it would sound something like, yeah, man, I think you got that. Oh, sure. It'd be fine. We need you to say, no, he doesn't. Let's put a mattress down there at least. You're important. Your influence is important. Don't underestimate your importance. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Help us, because we need it, and you're important, just like Priscilla was for Paul. I have one more point, and then we'll go. I told you I'd go a little longer this time, Melissa. Okay. Um, Starting in verse 19, it says, when they reached Ephesus, all right, Ephesians, Uh, They left there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer, he declined. But he said, farewell, and added, I'll come back again if God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. And I'm going to stop there in verse 22. My last point here is... Man, I love scripture. 
And Paul's words here is, I'll come back to you again if God wills. If God wills is an excellent way to live your life. I have stood up here, uh, I don't know, more times than I, I'd like to say, and we've said farewell to people in Del Rio, right? Because of the military or because they're going. And I make the same joke almost every time. And I don't apologize for that. It's a funny joke. Um, but I say, oh, I'm not going to say goodbye. Well, we'll see you again when you come back. But the rest of that joke and the part that I leave off every time is, if God wills, I'll see you when you come back, if God wills. And what I love about my military life and what I love about being here at Del Rio with so many people coming and going is that I have friends everywhere. And I will see you again if God wills. And I will pick up that day from this as if nothing has ever happened. We'll play a little bit of catch-up or whatever. But if God wills, I will become a full-time preacher if God wills. I will, I don't know, inherit a million dollars when my parents die if God wills. And it'll have to be a miracle because they don't have a million dollars. So, <laughs> But everything in our life is if God wills. And the encouragement here from this chapter is do not be afraid. You are not alone. God has it. God is taking care of you. God has got it. Do not give in to that discouragement. Do not give in to that little voice in the back of your head. Do not be afraid. You are not alone. And it will all work out if God wills. The most important thing that we can do is be faithful to what He is calling us to. And at a minimum, He is calling you to share your faith. Whether literally with someone or living an example for someone else to see. How did you forgive that person? They did not deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness either. So I give it because I received it. Live that example. Do not be afraid. You are not alone. And it will all work out if God wills. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for the example of Paul in this, in this scripture. I, I find it so easy to, to, to relate in this, uh, this part of Paul's life. And I hope in that uh, I was able to share some encouragement to this congregation. As we, we struggle in the things of life, as we try, we try, we try to find your will in our lives. That encouragement is, don't be afraid. We are not alone. And it will all work as you will it. I ask that you allow us to go from this place and live 
that way. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen.